Hi there. Welcome to the podcast from On She Goes, a travel site for all women of color. I'm your host, Amina Tuso. There are few travel experiences as insane as touring. Trust me, I've been there. You barely enter a city before leaving it. You've got constant performance anxiety, and you're surrounded by the same people all day, every day. But there are perks too, like riders, room service, and getting to know the fans who inspire you to keep doing what you're doing. On today's episode, you're going to hear from touring musicians Tao Wen and Michelle Zahner. But first, let's talk to a fellow touring podcaster, Crystal West. Crystal West hosts one of the most popular podcasts in the world, The Read. I love how embarrassed you world. are right now. <laughs> it's true. Um, all of my European cousins talk about your podcast. It wow. makes me really happy. How many dates uh, like on the road have you guys done so far? Oh, I have no idea. What? <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. We average maybe one or two live shows a month, and we've been doing them for a couple years. So I would say probably between 25 and 30 shows. What's on the read writer for shows? <laughs> we do not have writers. We are what? not that Hollywood. Not at all. What? Never. We're it's never not like about being Hollywood as much as it's, you know, like there's stuff that you like that you want to be consistent. In the dressing room backstage or something? Yeah. I mean, no. Hmm. no. This no is we're the never revelation like, of the day for me. <laughs> it's not like, no, I must have a bottle of. You know, my favorite champagne and a bunch of pink Starbursts in a bowl. You know, make sure I don't have no yellows or shit like that. It's not, <laughs> no. Or like the ludicrous, like, so much yogurt situation. It's like, how can one man eat so much yogurt? Yeah, no, we don't have we don't have writers for the Reed show. Oh, man, the Reed's so down to earth. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, That's what I'm like, what? A writer? There's no way that I could be like, oh, I demand, you know, six white German <laughs> shepherd puppies. <laughs> In a basket <laughs> every time I show up. In a basket. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we could do that. Of all the cities that you've been to, which have, which have been your favorites? Toronto was fun because I had never been to Canada before, especially. And I we got to go to this restaurant called Diner's Corner, which Drake kind of put us onto. Not directly, but indirectly. <laughs> <laughs> it's Drake's favorite. Drake recommendation. It's Drake's favorite Jamaican restaurant in Toronto. And so we went and the food is actually fantastic. So good that I agreed to do another event in Toronto next month. And when my manager emailed me about it, I was like, oh, it's in Toronto? Yes. Like, I don't even need to know any details because <laughs> I'm going back to this restaurant, Diner's Corner. So Toronto was really cool for that. London, that was our first time doing a show outside of North America. That was wild. Like, just being That's in a cool. whole other place. Like, we are all the way in England, and these people listen to us. Like, that just kind of blew my mind. So, probably those two stick out more than any other. You get a lot of fan recommendations for the cities that you go to. Can you tell us maybe what the worst recommendation that you've gotten is? Mm, you know, I can't think of any that come to mind but the best one was when we were in in London and they told us to go to Nando's Nando's yeah. whatever the chicken place is called that shit sorry <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have sworn that chicken was amazing it was so good I did not know London could fry chicken like that the cheeky it Nando's was, it was so good <laughs> it was so good I got the lemon pepper wings of course had to keep it real had to be authentic <laughs> fried hard but I didn't even have to say that they fried them right it was some really good chicken so shout out to y'all for being right about 
Nando's. <laughs> Crystal, I wanted to tell you, I was at your San Francisco show for okay. The Read. I was supposed to catch a flight afterwards, and I had to cancel my flight because I was so hopped up on the energy and how crazy it was in that room. Wow. Um, Thank you. I guess. Are all of your shows that way? Like, the, the audience was wild. Yeah, so the audience in the San Francisco show was on another level. Like, it's rare that the audience is that... Turned up. I expected people to be way more chill than what they were. That was a lot. For me, part of the draw going as somebody who lives in San Francisco and not Oakland was that, right? Where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get to be in a room with like a thousand black people. Right. And I'm like not passing that up. <laughs> a lot of us were joking. We're like, man, this was such a missed recruiting opportunity. Like all these people that say that they don't know black people. I'm like, hi, they're all here. Like, <laughs> right. Like on these three city blocks. Yeah. But As yeah. we were driving up, I said, this is really, where are all of the black people? Like, there's tons of white people and some Asian people, but it was like, I was just so stunned that we were driving through the city and just, it just felt like there were zero black people. And we got that sort of feedback a lot from uh, from people who were yeah. at the show who said, this is by far the biggest number of black people I've seen in San Francisco no, in one spot. People saying, like, this is a community that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And really just, like, taking time out of their day to do that, like, that was really, that was a treat to watch. Yeah. These spaces have been almost all white for a long time, and it's been not since Beyonce came have I seen this many black people <laughs> <laughs> in one building, which is sad, but, you know, I'll take it. It makes me feel good. Live shows are really showing the changing face of what the podcast listener looks like. And uh, and I think that a lot of your audience that shows up at live shows like really reflects that. Like a lot of the people who thinks of it, think that they're the gatekeepers of podcasts would never peg all of those people <laughs> to show up to like, you know, spend like cold, hard cash and right. really enjoy themselves. Well, podcasting is changing and there's more and more shows all the time with people of color and women and pe- women who are also people of color and people of all gender identities starting shows and that sort of thing. And I just think that's great. I mean, because when we started The Read, I, I've told this story a million times, but I told Kia Fury, nobody's going to listen to this because podcasts are for white people. <laughs> Nobody is going to listen. The black people do not listen to podcasts. So just seeing how much things have changed in three and a half years is amazing. Yeah, it turns out black people love podcasts that are 90 minutes long. <laughs> turns like, out black people love talking shit <laughs> about whatever out. they want. <laughs> <laughs> and they love to listen to each other do it, so. It's perfect. It's worked out. It's so perfect. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us today, Crystal. Thank you for having me. That was the amazing Crystal West. You can listen to her great podcast, The Read, on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Now it's time for the three H's with Melissa Valle. When it comes to hair and climate, make sure you do your research. I remember my very first trip to Paris in April. I was excited to have my hair straightened, the fresh blowout, not realizing how humid Paris is during that time of the year. Needless to say, my hair just got progressively bigger over the course of the trip. And so you can tell how far along I was in the trip if you look at the pictures by how big my hair was. If you're going somewhere very hot and humid like Cartagena, Colombia, you may have to change your routine entirely and go for something low maintenance and sleep. Be aware of your travel destination's weather patterns and don't let your hair become the focus of your trip. Thanks, Melissa. 
It's time to catch up with my fab friends, Ashley and Rosie. This time, they're taking us to Italy. So just to paint the picture for you, we went to Italy in 2009. I was an undergraduate student at Howard. And Rosie, I think, had graduated from law school at this point. So I'm definitely like an undergrad dating an attorney who like drives a Beamer and is like, hey, I'm going to take you to Italy for two weeks. And I'm like, sold. And so we Where get, in Italy are you? So we went to Florence, Rome, and the Amalfi Coast. Okay, so in Florence, that's where we started. You know, a, a colleague had gone to Italy maybe a couple of years before me and said, hey, go to Florence. It's absolutely beautiful, really small city. And he was like, oh, man, and you know what? I did this really cool bike tour. And, you know, I just was really able to get, a, you know, just a, a nice tour of the area. And I'm gonna tell the part from here. What? <laughs> I'm gonna tell the part from here because oh, this is where it gets shady. Yes. Okay. Rosie comes back to the hotel and is like, "Hey, babe, I signed us up for this bike tour. It's gonna be great. Like, it leaves in two hours. What do I do? I like pull on this really cute floral skirt. I'm like picturing myself, you know, riding through the you know Tuscan uh, countryside with like loaves of bread in my basket. The whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I get, we arrive at our meeting point and everyone looks like they're about to do the Tour de France. <laughs> like people are in like Lance butt bicycle. No, seriously. They had the butt, you know, the bicycle pants that got the pads on the back. Oh, I know. Oh, people oh. are like stretching. Like, like oh stretching. no, I brought my like bike shoes. Yeah, you're from going San on like the hilliest bike ride. Yeah, and so the guy looks at us and is like, I think you two should change. And I'm like, oh man, okay. So like I go back and throw on some like athletic, you know, clothing and. They let us pick out our bikes. And, like, everyone knows what they're doing with their bike. Like, I grab mine and get on it. But people are, like, adjusting the seat, the gears, like, checking things. And I'm like, wow, you guys are, like, really anal for this, like, bike ride through the countryside. But, like, okay. Okay. So we we get on our bikes. And the guy's like, hey, we need one person in the front to flag folks for directions. And then, like, one person in the back. So it really we know is Tour de France. Yes. <laughs> so I, of course like volunteer to be in the front i'm like hey i got it and he's like he's like you know so when you see me do this like you know you make sure that that other people can see you and that you are hand signaling so that when we're turning you know we're doing things safely so we hit this hill and this incline and i was like oh wait we're going up the hill (laughs) and he's like yes and all of a sudden i fell to like the back of the line got off my bike and decided i was going to walk my bike up so, you know, it's us as black people and all white people. Yes. And so, so I So you got to overperform. So but I don't I'm care about committed. things like that. She doesn't Rosie care about is that. committed. But I am committed. These people, I was biking my ass off <laughs> because I felt like I had to ride for me and her and the rest of the black people I in this world. Like, but you know what? I don't, I don't allow myself to feel that weight. I am she a didn't, free black she woman. Didn't, she just completely let it go. But I was sweating profusely. I mean, I was putting that it was in low gear. I was like, oh, come on. Rosie we is are like going pumping. I'm in the back. And the, our asses. and the woman is whispering to Rosie. in the back, bringing shame to all of our people. Bringing shame care. to the entire I race. I was like, I'm about okay, to undo everything that Kunta and Harriet and everyone else. <laughs> all, that, all that progress we made. Like, Ash, oh, Ash I'm about to undo everything right here. And so the woman's like, hey, do you think she's going to be okay? It's just a couple she's more miles. She's whispering to me like, miles. hey. Maybe if you go back there and talk to her, I was like, that's not going to work for her. Talking to her is not going to work. And then the guy, and I felt so bad for this guy. Uh, I think he was at school. In, he had just school, finished graduating from Yale. Just finished graduating from Yale. And he decides to take it upon himself to go to the back of the line where Ash was walking her bike and talk her through. He's like, you know, when I'm on the crew the team, 
I was like, dude, I don't care. She literally looked at him and said, this doesn't move me. So we get up to the hill. We're in this rest. We see we're in this restaurant overlooking like all of Florence. We had just found out that Steven Spielberg had been there five minutes before us. So I'm like, okay, like really feeling myself at this point. Um, so then, of course, on the way back, because we're going down, I'm like in the front. And you loud. know, flagging everyone. Wait, like, so you hey. made it to the so top? So I made oh, it to the top. it took her forever. I but made we it. made it. We I made it. it. I'm so impressed. We made it. Yes. So, yeah, and, and that's that's pretty much our, our MO, right? Ash, you know, she signed us up for a lot of hiking. And you know it's it's me and Ash at the back of the back of the pack, and I'm like, babe, you know we hiking. You can't lay down on the mountain and just, you know. And so that's that's our mo, and that that's it. All started in Italy. Italy but you know what? Italy. I like an adventure, and yeah. I'm like Rosie. I'm not about to let no white folks make me feel like I got to be at the front of the bike line. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. Like I said, I I have released I have released myself from that kind of pressure. I really have to admit. That might be my favorite Ashley and Rosie story. I'm Tao Win from Tao and the Get Down Stay Down. We're in a dubiously ventilated business center. Completely unventilated. Completely. <laughs> this Com- is an illegal in- space. Entirely <laughs> underventilated computer space in the in the Empire Hotel, which is a very nice hotel. But anyway, we're here because uh, it we are on tour and there's no private space. I really wanted to ask you about your experience being on tour, like what that's like from a travel perspective, like sharing close quarters with people. Is that something you adjust to scheduling and just, you know, the everyday of that? Sure. Yeah, I think um, for better or worse, we started touring so young. I started touring um, basically 21, 22 before my brain had fully formed. And I think that's very helpful in adapting to touring conditions. And you you don't yet have standards of living, you don't yet understand quality of life, and uh, and so that's integral when you're starting out in a band. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly close quarters, and you, everyone figures out how to configure their own privacy in a completely uh, public spaces, <laughs> and and so a lot of it is just zoning out because you can't really go you always have to be somewhere or you're always waiting for something so the only only place you can really escape is in your mind and so no one talks it's sort of like an unspoken rule there's not a lot of talking what do you do to take care of yourself like practically oh this is i love talking about this because it's such an ongoing experiment i i do believe that i'm at this point the healthiest i've ever been in my touring life i i try to meditate every day for a little bit I try to work out every day. A lot of kale and a lot less drinking, which is probably number one thing to do <laughs> to be healthy. But yeah, the, I'm on more of a routine when I'm on tour than I am when I'm at home. And when I'm at home, I'm just at a loss and I don't know exactly what to do with myself. I want to go back to the meditation. Do you have a particular meditation that you like or do you have an app that you use or like how do you like how do you center that? I was raised Buddhist and 
sort of culturally, more ritually, and then I came to the more meditative side on my own. Uh, so, but I have an uncle who's who has given me some instruction because he spent, he's basically as close as you can get to a monk without being a monk. That's my estimation of it. I don't know. That's not an official <laughs> decree or anything. I just, that he works. was raised basically in a monastery in Vietnam. So he's given me some tips. And then I have this insight timer, that app, which is, it's not a guided meditation, but it just is the, you know, there's the singing bowls and the chimes and you can just let that keep track of time for you on your, on your phone. I'm really curious about this, that have like women who choose to put their name on their work, you mm -hmm. know, and then, and then the band is, has a different makeup <laughs> probably than you. And yeah, I just, yeah. I was just wondering if you had like thoughts on that specifically. I wasn't necessarily making a statement and given all of these decisions were made when I was 22 essentially and but the when you marry the band name that's it you kind of it's bad business to try to change yeah you're like we have good seo under this name yeah <laughs> got it see you know what i mean and and so um i just didn't come up with another name in time for the rec to come out and all that stuff and i'm envious of those who have who have a project separate from their their given mm -hmm. name so that you can assume it when you need to and shed it when you need to and you're already giving so much of yourself and it's such a vulnerable thing to be doing and also the fact that i'm using my name when i was a kid i grew up in suburban dc so northern virginia you know falls church and and i was the only vietnamese kid in my class in my elementary school and my and i remember in kindergarten Kids teased me so much about my name. They called me Towel, which at that point, well, then I was devastated. Now I'm, now, you know, I understand they were five, but it, it troubled me a lot. It troubled yeah. me so much that I went home and I asked my parents to, that I, so I could have a, an American name, you know, which I don't say because it, just the thought of it, just the sound of it makes me kind of die inside a little. And so, I never changed my name legally. I kept, that Tao was my name on all, on all the paperwork and my family, anyone who knew me outside of school, that was my name. But when I went to school, it was this American name. But now it, it, it resonates more clearly with me that it is really important that I claim this name and I, I work as outright as I can be about what my heritage is and what my identity is. How do you think that you know, like the, the indie rock scene has changed since you started. Do you feel like it's more inclusive, less inclusive? It's the same? Uh, I definitely, I definitely think it's more inclusive and a lot less offensive. <laughs> and when I was first starting out, one of the first reviews of our record that we got when we released in, in 2008, they received the record well, it was fine, but the, the, the way it was couched, it was unlike anything I would expect. They said that, um, based on my name, they knew I was Vietnamese and they said, you know, you might've thought she was hiding in the brush waiting for the Ted offensive, something along those lines. Wow. You might've thought she was in a foxhole. Wow. But she was, she's been writing songs. I mean, I've encountered different elements of racism, some, more subtle than others, but this was like an incredibly overt demonstration. So that doesn't happen anymore. And, and I, I also, I think that now my ethnicity, it's not part of um, 
the description of this band. You know, it's no longer about that, whereas for the first few years it was. And I think that's just a matter of establishing enough of a whatever so that people can move beyond that. And there's less sexism. There's less blatant sexism. I don't get these weird comments about playing guitar and and how well I might play for a woman. Oh, no, they would always say for a girl. You'd never say yeah, for a woman. Yeah, you're never, oh my God, never. if only they called us women, we would I be know. slightly less offended. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, ever slightly less. Um. Those shifts I've, I've noticed and I'm, I'm not thankful, I'm less disgusted. You know, I'm yeah. less disheartened. I don't think that this progress yeah. is something to celebrate. I think it's sort of a, you know, we're, we're, we've been beyond patient and, Gracious. I mean, you played a huge part of that. You know, it's like we just had this name conversation and and all this stuff. But putting yourself front and center, you know, it, that you know whether you're comfortable saying that or not, that is a trailblazing move. You know, and that is that is something that for a lot of us who who listen to music and love listening to women, like seeing somebody who just like claims who they are and and what they're doing. There's so much power in that. You know, and and realizing that like things shift because people make those kinds of choices, you know, whether they make them consciously or unconsciously. Thank you very much for saying that. I, you know, after you, you're, you've been doing something for 10 years, you do consider whether or not to keep, you know, what is the motive, what are the motivations to keep going? And and certainly the, the responses, like very sincere, just interactions like this where, you know, it's not my place to agree with you, but I, it is my place to, to say thank you and that does, matter so much you know for for people to keep going i feel like we're having a fangirl moment right now that i'm really appreciating (laughs) if not for these computers we'd be holding hands (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today this means a lot thank you it was my pleasure thank you so much that was tao win of tao and the get down stay down and now it's time for around the world with anaya Let's take a trip around the world with Anaya. This week I'm talking about Medellin, Colombia. No city is primed to be the burgeoning cultural capital of Latin America like Medellin, Colombia. It's the city of eternal spring, and it gets its name from that perfect year-round spring weather. It's undergoing a major renaissance right now, making it arguably one of the best places to be in Latin America. From an emerging foodie scene to a growing creative class, the people of Medellin have turned their turmoil into much to be proud of. But of course, I'm telling you guys before everyone catches on, so the cost of living is still insanely low. And there's still incredible room for growth. Go visit and check it out. And while you're there, here are three things that you should do. Feel like a kid all over again with a trip to Parque Explora where the goal is to explain science in layman's terms. Normally, I wouldn't think to visit an interactive science museum, but I'm thrilled that my guide put it on my itinerary. I stared in awe at the largest freshwater aquarium in Latin America, but the real thing was the Mind Open World Interactive Neuroscience Exhibit. It blew my mind. Have dinner, drinks, and people watch at the yummy sushi restaurant Envy at the Charlie Hotel. This rooftop restaurant has stunning, sweeping views of the city, which just looks magical at night. And you'll definitely spy some of Medellin's glitterati. 
In Medellin, the art is not just in the museums or the plazas. There's a thriving street art culture, and one of the best places to see this is the San Javier neighborhood in Comuna 13. Once considered among the most violent neighborhoods in the city, and one of the most densely populated, the neighborhood has been revitalized over the past years as a prime example of urban renewal. Street artists with the support of locals told the history of the neighborhood and Colombia through beautiful murals. Tons of tourists flock to the area during the day to see the sweeping views of the city from the metro cable and outdoor escalator. Both were built in order to give the people in this area access to the rest of the city. Here, you'll find the heart of Medellin and totally fall in love. That was Anaya Richards bringing you around the world. Up next, I sit down with musician Michelle Zahner. My name's Michelle Zahner. I play in a band called Japanese Breakfast, and I uh, am a writer. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You are also touring right now. Uh, Yeah, I just came off of a tour. I was like on the road for six weeks. I did five weeks in the U.S., and then I did a week in the U.K., and now I'm off for like two weeks, and then I do another five weeks in the U.S., and then three weeks in the U.K. and Europe. How many cities was that total? We played 27 shows, so that was like 26 different cities, and then we were on the road for like 31 days. Who was on tour with you? Mitski in the U.S., and then we were doing um, like a festival and headlining gigs in London. How would you describe like kind of the indie rock scene in terms of gender? Because I feel like you're touring with maybe more ladies now. Yeah, um, I mean, this last tour was amazing because it was three... Asian-American front women. There was two guys and five girls on that tour. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't always like that. I used to play in another band called Little Big League, and it was that scene is like super, or was really male-dominated, and I was used to being like the only girl on uh, like a three-band tour. So like one to 10 or 12. But I don't know. I think that the landscape is changing a lot in indie rock. I personally pretty pretty much exclusively listen to female writers and musicians just because, like, I don't know, it's just, like, the voice I prefer, I think. So sometimes it just feels like the world that I'm in is, is really female-dominated, which I appreciate. What's different from touring with, like, hella bros versus, uh, you know, ladies? not much I think that there's like a sense of camaraderie that's nice um we can like bitch about the same things <laughs> and I don't know I mean it's unfortunate because like even though that there are there are a lot of female musicians starting to or women musicians starting to break out I feel like there's a lot of other uh roles in touring that are mostly male gendered so like a lot of sound guys a lot of male staff at clubs and stuff like that and in different cities and in different clubs, it's like it, it's always different. Sometimes it's uh, it feels very equal, and sometimes it feels really sexist. So. You tweeted this thing that really resonated with a lot of people recently, where you were like, uh, "To those who feel isolated in their experiences, make art, and your people will find you." Yeah, this is really new for me. Having a lot of my music reach a lot of people, or like my art in general reach a lot of people. So, you know, I made a really personal record, and I think I tweeted that like right as I was finishing a tour, in which like a lot of kids were coming up to me and telling me how much the record meant to them. And I remember being a kid and not 
and feeling like I always knew I wanted to be a creative person and I knew I wanted to write about my life. And I felt like I would always have to write it from a white voice in a way. Like uh, even when I was thinking about writing fiction, I always really gravitated towards like writing from like a male white voice. And I think it was partially because I felt like my personal voice as like a half Korean woman was like too niche of like a market and it wasn't like a neutral body that could just like be a person it would have to like it would have to be like an ethnic piece or whatever I couldn't just like the character just happens to be like half Asian or like whatever yeah you know one thing that's so wild about this and it's something that I, I just identify with so deeply is I don't know, like, it's crazy that you can think of yourself and your creative projects and say, like, I can write from the perspective of a white man, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know what that is because that's the default of the world that you live in. But then feel so isolated and marginalized because you know that vice versa is not true. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, like, a complete lack of imagination when it comes, like, specifically from white art when it comes to dealing with any kind of other (laughs) at this Mm -hmm. point. Definitely. I didn't really feel like there was space for me until, like, this year in a lot of ways. It's so crazy. I was talking to my old professor about this where it was like, I didn't become a woman of color until, like, this year. I never had been referred to as a woman of color until this year. Are you enjoying being a woman of color? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that it was like I never – I was always afraid to, like – like I personally would have identified that with that, but I don't think that anyone would have understood why that was up until maybe like this year. And, you know, I was visible in the arts, I guess. Like I, I played music before for three years in another band with three white guys. And like I never was asked, like, how does your Asian American identity like affect your music until this project and I don't know if it has something to do with the band name or if I'm just like more at the front of this project because it's more of my solo project or if it's just like the current landscape that is suddenly like an important thing that I think especially the younger generation they feel obligated rightfully so to make room for new voices and it's like you know the white guy rock thing is like kind of (laughs) done like let's hear from someone else you know oh my god hear hear it has, like, really dawned on me that there are people who are very organized and people who are not organized, and I count myself in the non-organized space. Um, I'm definitely, like, packing two hours before I have to go on, like, international trips. Do you feel like you have a good packing strategy down since you, like, do this for work a lot? Yeah, I'm actually a super light packer. So I think that the number one thing for me is to just, like, cut it, like, to basics. I think that mentally I really like to to shed anything heavy like I I don't like to have I don't like to carry too much and I when I like try to plan a trip I'm constantly thinking of like how to have like the least amount of stuff on my person and I think that so there's this game it's called like the Japanese desert game and this was something that my aunt taught to me do you want to play it's like kind of okay so you have five play right now yeah we're gonna play right now so we have five animals you have a cow a horse a lion, a monkey, and a lamb. And you're going on a trip and there are gonna be four junctures. And at each juncture, you're gonna have to get rid of one animal and you can only keep one animal at the end. Oh man. So you're going on this trip and you reach your first juncture, which animal do you get rid of first? The cow, the horse, the lion, the monkey, or the lamb? Man. There is no man. 
Uh, <laughs> get rid of the man. I mean, um, obviously that would be the first pick. I know. I don't know. <laughs> I would probably get rid of the monkey, but I feel like I'm going to regret that. Or you could also just get rid of the lion because I feel like he's going to want to eat everybody. I'm going to get rid of the lion. You get rid of the lion. You've reached your next juncture. What do you get rid of? Are you going to get rid of the monkey or the lamb, the horse, or the cow? I'm going to get rid of the monkey. Okay. Then you have a, a horse, a cow, and a lamb. I'm going to get rid of the lamb. And then you're down to the last two of your horse and your cow, and then you get to keep one at the end. I'm so stressed out. <laughs> I, I just don't know what I'm going to need them for. Yeah. <gasps> Ugh. I guess I'll get rid of the cow. So each animal is supposed to kind of represent um, like a priority in your life, like wow. which priority you value the most. So I brought it up just because like for me, I got rid of all of the animals I thought were going to really weigh me down. I kept like the lamb and the monkey till the end because I was just like, they're really small. They're easy to carry. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I might be on a boat. I might be transferring like to a train at some point. I, I don't want to have to like. He would take me somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like everyone kind of like views this. That's why it's like very like vague and ambiguous. Like you don't know where you're going. You don't know what the trip's like. But for me, it's like any trip I take, I always like want to like carry the least amount of stuff because I don't know where I'm going. Like I got rid of all the big guys first and I kept the little ones. But the the lion, I had the same theory was that the lion's going to eat all your other animals. So your lion represents like your pride, just kind of true to life. Like your pride kind of eats away at your other priorities because you are never willing to like make any kind of like sacrifices or negotiations for them. Uh, the monkey represents um, your child. Uh, Definitely got rid of yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know, but you're like, I feel like I might regret this, but you're like, nah, it's fine. I won't. What did you get rid of next? The lamb is the like lamb. love, like the love in your life. Perfectly okay. <laughs> Your cow represents um, wealth because, like, it's it has like the most byproducts, like milk and butchery and whatever. Yeah. And then the horse represents your career because, like, at the end, like, you can always like ride out your career. <laughs> this is like very stressfully kind of accurate. Yeah, yeah. I felt like mine was super accurate for me too, and like the reasons behind certain decisions I made were. We're so your aunt's, like, playing this game with you when you were a kid, and you're like, yeah, big was, life decisions? Yeah, no, I was, like, really young when she, she played that game with me. It was fun. It's, like, a good, like, first date game, because you can be, like, I can read into your subconscious priorities before, I like, this goes any further. <laughs> I also think that, like, traveling with a significant other, like, to me, that tells me everything I need to know about them. Totally. I'm just, like, if you pack too much, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, you know, that's, if, like, a big thing with touring, too, is just, like... You have to respect other people's space so much with what you pack. So, like, the first day that people show up and they have, like, two bags and, like, a couple of other things, you just, like, immediately... And then they like, bring, like, a useless thing. You're just oh, my like, God. Why? My drummer brought dumbbells and a football. <laughs> yeah. And I swear to God I wanted to murder her, like, the entire tour. Because, <laughs> like, for some reason that football especially just, like, kept getting in my way. Like, every time I would open the trunk, somehow the football would just come, like, toppling out. I was trying to move the seat back. There happens to just be the football. And it causes so much resentment because you're just like, you do not respect my space. The more space that you take up in this car with your crap is like an insult to my person uh so yeah i'm a very light packer because i i i like to no, i, I like to like that. be able to run if i need to i'm ocd so for me it's like if i am traveling in a group of people and i see bags that i can't stack one on top of the other i'm like you're the problem child of this trip totally like that's I'm just like, <laughs> everything needs to fit in a neat pile 
And if you bring your surfboard, we are not going to be friends. Yep. Michelle, where can everybody find your work? On the interweb, on the World Wide Web. Al Gore's internet? Yep. I have a Bandcamp. It's michellezoner.bandcamp.com. And then if you just Google Japanese Breakfast Band, uh, a medley of links should should arise. Oh, my God. That's uh, exactly what I'm going to do today. <laughs> so I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. What a fun finale for this tour. Thanks so much for listening to On She Goes, the podcast. Don't forget to check out onshegoes.com for more travel stories, tips, and inspiration. I'm your host, Amina Tuso. On She Goes is produced by me and Barry Finkel for Pineapple Street Media in partnership with Sarita Wesley, Lizzie Harris, and Natalie Huzenga for Wyden and Kennedy Publishing. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, Emily Becker, Lindsay Mavis, Sarah Fink, Marmoset, and 8pm. Bye!